Now, those of you who are visiting, we have been making our way through Philippians. In fact, um, it's two years today that I've been going through Philippians. So, uh, yes, yeah, it's been taking me that long to get to this chapter, to this part. So, please turn to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. And just to give you just a little bit of a background, and last time, the last few sermons, we looked at how the Apostle Paul, how he's bringing this uh, letter to, to, to an end. He begins to share his affection uh, with, with the church of Philippi um, by saying to them, My beloved uh, brethren, whom I long to see, and my joy and crown, and then he tells them to stand firm this way, stand firm in the Lord. And, and the last time we also looked at this little uh, letter, this little epistle, we saw how the realities of life between two believers within the church that Satan can actually even use in bringing disunity. And that was Yodia and Syntyche who had some sort of troubles between one another and this morning, just because of our text, which is chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, we'll just read that first. And it begins with a great word, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. And we want to be reminded that this little letter that Paul has been taken us through, it is known by many scholars as the letter of joy. And as we began two years ago, we saw that a joyful church is a healthy church. A joyful church is a healthy church. And the Apostle Paul speaks about that in great length. He is joyful in praying for the brethren. He takes joy in seeing the progression of the, the growth in the Philippian church. There is joy when there is believers, when there are believers who are like-minded and loving one another. Paul rejoiced in serving the believers in Philippi, and they rejoiced in serving him. They shared the joy with Paul. They were Paul's joy and his crown. It's very crucial, would you not agree that believers, we ought to be joyful? Amen? We ought to be a joyful church. Especially as we've seen even in this letter, there are many testings and trials and troubles, false converts, false teachers, false ideologies, the culture that continuously was tempting them, grumbling, disputing, selfishness. I think it's, a, it's a, good, a good thing to be reminded to be joyful. And I don't think Yodia and Syntyche were very joyful in that area. But can't we be like this? Can't we be the same? Complaining, selfish, grumbling, disputing, arguing. I didn't like the music, it was too loud. The preacher went for too long. They prayed for too long. The curtains are too wide. The chairs are a weird color. I am color blonde. They are blue, right? But there is joy here in this little epistle. And I want to remind you why. Because 
it points to Christ. Because it points to Christ. When the apostle even began this letter, he says, he himself and Timothy were slaves of Christ. Slaves, they belonged to Christ. And then he says, to the saints who are in Christ. He says, grace and peace, they flow from Christ. There is security and assurance that are in Christ. He that began the good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. The affections for others and the growth for our love for the brethren come from Christ. We live for Christ and we die for Christ. Righteousness comes because of Christ. And by the way, this is all through this epistle. We suffer well for Christ. We proclaim Christ. We pray in the spirit of Christ who supplies for us. We live for Christ. Christ humbled himself and became a servant for us. And as much as Satan would work through a church to bring disunity and argument amongst believers in any way, shape, or form, listen, Satan wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and he wants to make you joyless. He wants to take away your joy in Christ Jesus. And without joy, brothers and sisters, who are we anyway? What are we in Christ if we don't have joy? How can we encourage one another to run this race and to be focused on the things above? We are not called this morning to just have an intellectual mind to stimulate our thoughts as the preacher preaches, although that's good. I pray that you have your mindset and and start to receive what God has said to you. We're not called to have all the answers in life, although we ought to look at the book of life to find the answers in life. We're not called to have lots of money and and, and lots of friends and and, and big homes and, and big things. And all these things have their proper place. But Paul calls the believers with a holy command. Rejoice. Possess this. Have joy as a diamond around your neck that is close to your heart that is exposed to the rest of the world. At the same time, we are reminded that we are fallen creatures. And sometimes it's hard to be joyful. Sometimes we find it hard to be joyful. But God never puts something in scriptures as a command for us to keep, for us to obey, if we wouldn't be able to obey it. Right? So, here's what we're going to call today's sermon. A call to rejoice. And we're going to look at three things, because that's what we like to do here at Saving Grace Bible Church. One, the command to rejoice. That's the command to rejoice. Two, the person of rejoice. And three, the exposure of that rejoice. In other words, what happens because of rejoicing. So look at the text again with me. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Two imperatives there. Two commands. Rejoice, rejoice. And Paul is really expressing his own heart here. Throughout this epistle he's done this and he's coming to an end. And what he wants them to do is rejoice, be joyful. 
And these commands here are in the present active verb. And they're an imperative. And they are plural. What on earth does that mean? It means you are to continuously do this. It's a command to be joyful. And just in case we didn't understand the Apostle Paul, he says, always, always. So you've got a present active imperative. It's a verb that says continuously do this. And then he says always. And just in case the Philippians misunderstood or we misunderstood, he says, again, I will say, we'll say what? Rejoice. And if we didn't understand that just in case we're a little bit sleepy, he says, rejoice continually. Fix your eyes upon Christ because it's in the Lord that we are to rejoice. Paul doesn't give us a, an option here. They are to be continuously in a state of rejoicing under every circumstance. Even though there, there were tough things, unbelievers and, and false people in their midst and, and the culture, Paul says, brethren, rejoice. Like he did in chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Doesn't matter if there is something going on, just rejoice in the Lord. So, this is a command. And it's like any other command, but I want to explain it. It's slightly different. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, we are told as commands, don't steal, so we don't steal, don't cheat, you don't cheat, don't lie, so you don't lie. But here it says, rejoice. So, how do we do this? How do we rejoice? Is there an antenna that we have? Is there a holy scriptural verse where it says, here's the way you do it. You turn this on in the morning when you wake up and go, eh, and you rejoice. Uh, how do we do this? How do we keep this command? Well, before, so before I give you the answer, I just want to take you through a little bit of a detour to get the point. What is joy? I believe joy is the man's inner Soul satisfaction driven by someone or something that he loves. Joy is driven by someone who has a devotional attachment to something or to someone. Whomever he is attached to, whatever he loves, his emotions and his delight, his satisfaction, his gladness and his bliss come from this particular thing. A joy is feeling that freedom from anxiety. A joy is that inner peace. Not like the cartoons in the peace, but there is an inner peace. Joy comes from this attraction to someone or something. Joy can be found with a person we love, an object that we treasure, a time that we remember, something that lifted our hearts to the next level, our emotions, our affections, and our will. The joy can be found when, when you're married, when you have children. Some of us are going to have grandchildren. When you get a pay rise, perhaps. When you buy a new home, when you buy your first car. But I don't think that's what Paul had in mind here. Although those things have their place. But that's not going to help the Philippians. 
If, if that's the joy that Paul had in mind, how is that going to help the Philippians to continue to run the race and to fight whatever's going on in their time? That's not going to help them. But I want us to grasp this a little bit further. Where does true joy come from? But let me explain what true joy, what joy is not. True biblical joy is not dependent on external circumstances. It is not dependent on anyone or anything for that matter. Or else if that's the case, why would Paul write this? Why would Paul write this? True biblical joy is not based on materialistic things, the wealth the world can offer, the power you can gain, worldly comfort, success. It's definitely not based on people. People will always let you down. Please don't take joy in me. I will let you down. It's not based on mature age or being young. True biblical joy is not based on your husband or your wife or your child or your ministries for that matter. How well we play music, how well we preach and how well we teach and how well we prepare the food. By the way, thank you for the food and all the preparation. We thank God for you. And we thank God for you who play music. But that's not true biblical joy. But here's a little challenge for us. We may think that's for someone else to hear. But I think if we do a little bit of examining, we will find ourselves here somewhere. That our joy oftentimes is obscured. And we try to find it in someone or something rather than a true source of joy. Well. What can hinder us to have the true joy? We haven't spoken about how do we get this yet. Just stay with me. Joy doesn't come naturally because it's a command. We need to work for this. So what can hinder us in having true biblical joy? Well, could be work. People are so busy in working, a day begin to slack off from the Lord and the fellowship of the saints and the reading and prayer. And then they want to buy stuff. Some people try to find joy in their spouse and others see their spouse as a stumbling block for their joy. The very thing that God has given you to be joyful in, all of a sudden becomes a stumbling block. Uh, That's just me. The very things that God has given you, all of a sudden, they become a stumbling block. My wife doesn't keep the house clean. She answers back. She gossips. She's not submissive. She's a bad mother. The wife says, no. My husband is lazy. He does not study with me. He doesn't lead me. He doesn't show me love. He's a hypocrite. He doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. Do you know why? Because your focus is not on Christ. That's why. For others, what hinders them from having true biblical joy is simply this. I am not 
happy in the circumstance that I am in. I'm not happy. And that comes to you, brothers and sisters, because of this. There is a lack of trust in God's providence. There's a lack of trust that God has provided for you, that very husband, wife, child, circumstance, cancer, you name it. There is a lack of trust in the Lord. There is a lack of trust in God's sovereignty. Oh, how often do we say the Lord Jesus yells from heaven and says, that is mine, every square inch of the universe is mine, except this circumstance, I think God's made a mistake. And, and we become joyless, right? Would you agree with this or is it just me? Or did this just speak to me? This week where I'll go through health things, I said, how do I take joy, but not in this. I need to take joy in a proper way, in a biblical way. We take our eyes of the God who's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotence. He's faithful. He's perfect. He's righteous. How should we answer this? Well, James tells us how to answer this. He actually says, consider how much? All. All in the Greek means all. And all in Egyptian means all. And German and whatever language <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. It means all, consider all joy, brethren, when, when you encounter Various trials. That's what we are told. Now, why joy? Listen, brothers and sisters, joy is a fuel that gets the engine going in a believer. It is the flood waters that streams into the ocean of satisfaction when we actually get it from the right source. The joy is the fuel, the delight, the gladness of the heart. Look at the verse again with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm just going to skip in the Lord for a second. It says always. What does it mean always? Only when things are good, when things are prosperous, when things are going our way. Is that what that says? Remember the context. Remember where Paul is. He's chained to a guard or two. He's under house arrest. He doesn't have freedom. He doesn't have what we have. Right now, doesn't have privacy. Friends came and see him from time to time. He's fighting false brethren and false professors. People are envious. And he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. That means on every occasion, in all situation, no matter what's going on. And then he says, again, I will say, and this is a future active verb. What does that mean? It means to rejoice continually now and in the future. Continuously. Just rejoice. We are called to rejoice no matter what. If you're in a trial in your life right now, you're called to rejoice. I will tell you how do we do this in a minute. But if you're persecuted for Christ, you're called to rejoice. 
If you're working out something with your sister in Christ or your brother in Christ like Yodia and Syntyche, rejoice. If you're going through something at home, rejoice. If you're facing hardship, rejoice. Brothers and sisters, let us be like Job and say, hey, what can I bring? I mean, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise him for that. And Job went on to say, though he slay me, I will hope in him. I will trust him. Paul is calling these believers to, to, to be rejoicing, not just when you're in, a, uh, in the light, but when you're in the dark, uh, not just when everything is going well in your path of life and you see roses. No, 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 it's when all the roses are dead around you. Not, not, not just when you're in an open air. No, when you're locked up, when you feel like you're closed in, when you don't know how to open the key to this problem, Paul says, rejoice. If you're struggling with your wife, rejoice, Paul says. If you're struggling with your husband that he's not leading, rejoice. If your child is unruly, rejoice. If things are not up to your standard, even in the congregation here, rejoice, brothers and sisters. We're not called to rejoice in a desert, as it were, only when we see springs of water. We are called to rejoice if we're in the desert, if I can use that just as an illustration. When the heat is upon your head as a trial of life, and when the wind is scorching, and when the sand is burning and cutting your skin, we are called to rejoice. We're not called to rejoice only when God gives us good weather in Melbourne. We're called to rejoice when the, when the weather turns upside down. The same thing in life. So we haven't answered the question yet. How do we do this? How do we keep this command? How do we keep this command in our circumstances? That brings us to the second point. Look at the verse again. The person of rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy might be the fuel for us, but that joy is manufactured. It, is, it comes from and flows from Jesus Christ himself. Picture yourself as a car. The one who's putting joy inside your car, your body, that fuel is Jesus Christ himself. Paul uses in the Lord several times here, brothers and sisters, in this epistle. Because all things are possible in the Lord. In chapter 1 verse 4, Paul begins to explain how his imprisonment encouraged the believers to be more faithful and courageous in the Lord. In chapter 2 verse 19, Paul was hoping to send back Timothy in the Lord. Paul trusted in the Lord that he would see the Philippians again. Paul rejoiced in the Lord. He says, stand firm in the Lord. Be in harmony in the Lord to two sisters. All that we can do and say, brothers and sisters, is in the Lord. And joy can be found nowhere else. This means that our circumstances or our things or people should not bring us joy. It won't last. 
Because we think the better the circumstances, the happier I will be. Isn't it the way we think? God, please remove this circumstance so I can be joyful. If my home is better and more in order, and my wife is better, and my husband is better, and my job is better, and my paycheck, paycheck is better, if I have a better position in church, if I have a better life, oh, I'm joyful now. Now I'm joyful. Is this not what actually is happening, not only in this church, but in our society? Our children, our teenage children are bombarded with this nonsense from TV and from magazines that the better body they have, the more joyful they'll be. The longer hair they have, like, I'm out, the better they'll be. Uh, the, the, the better cars and the better clothes and the better jobs, the more joyful they'll be. But isn't that the same for us adults? Don't we think the same? That's not the joy Paul's talking about here. The circumstances of the world are not what gives us joy or the things of the world, but it comes from the Lord. The joy is of the Lord. Paul goes on to say, take joy in this because Jesus is the motivator of our joy. The Holy Spirit is love and joy. But sometimes we don't have that. Rejoice in the Lord. That means rejoice in the person of Jesus Christ who is ever unchanging. Unlike your momentary little joyful pleasures who will change in a blink of an eye. So, but I want to share something with you. More than that, if you're a Christian this morning, if you're born of God, if you have a new heart, if God has saved your soul, do you know that you possess all the fullness of joy of God inside of you? Because the Holy Spirit didn't partially come and live inside of you. He came and He lives inside of you fully. But sometimes, I'll give you an illustration, we do not live that way. We have full access in our holy bank account, in our body, within us, of this joy that God has given us, but we don't access it fully all the time. This is like a man who had, has a billion dollars. We can't say a million anymore because a million doesn't mean much anymore. So we say billion. He had a billion dollars. And yet he lives his life with a hundred bucks a week. And he's got a hundred dollars a week and he lives on a hundred dollars a week and he can barely make ends meet. He becomes very depressed. He becomes even a beggar because he just doesn't touch that one billion dollars that he's got in his bank. He's got enough money to make himself joyful and the rest of his suburb joyful if he's smart enough. But you see what happens with us, brothers and sisters? Sometimes we are like this foolish man. We have the fullness of joy in our bank account available for us, but we walk around as if we have no joy in us whatsoever. 
We don't tap in to that joy that has been making, uh, that is available for us. And we walk around like beggars. And we have this little bit of a glimpse of a joy. Somehow, something, something made me happy and I just smiled. That was my joy for today. How was your day, brother? I smiled once. Where we have the fullness of joy. What is wrong with us? What's wrong with this picture? How do we keep this command? How do we cultivate this? Well, this is where the rubber meets the road. Because the joy in keeping this command is like, are you ready for it? It is the way that we view God in our life. The way we view God in our life. Think about Paul. Why could Paul write this? Because Paul had that close closeness with God. His eyes were always up on God, on Christ. Everything he, he did was for Christ. For me to, 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 to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he meditated on Christ. So how do we tap in? How do we do this? How about we begin here? Remember the joy of the Lord in your salvation. Remember the joy of the Lord in your salvation. Remember the joy of the Lord that He protects you. He cares for you. He loves you so much. We heard it this morning that whilst you were still sinners, what? Christ died for you. He loves you. Remember the joy of your election. Your salvation was sealed before the foundation of the world and it will never be lost because God started it and God finishes it. Remember that you're part of the kingdom of God. Remember that joy of being part of the bride of Christ. Remember the joy of the God-man born in a manger, died and rose and ascended and he would return. And then, when you remember these things, when you start to meditate on these things, the little things in your life will start to become little because that's what they are. And you will start rejoicing in those things. God, thank you for giving me a wife to humble me. And thank you, God, for giving me a husband to humble me. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, even when my child is unruly. Remember where the Lord has placed you. Remember the joy that your name is written in the book of life. Remember that Christ, He works out all things according to the purpose of His own will. Meditate on this Lord, the God of the universe, the same God who upholds everything by the power of His own word. He became flesh. He dwelt amongst us. He breathed the dust of this earth, the Lord of glory. He was dressed in splendor, being worshipped by holy angels. He came so that you can have life. Does this not bring you joy? Because if this doesn't bring you joy, there is something wrong. Not with Jesus, because this is in our bank account. This is how we tap in to get this joy. Brothers and sisters. Rejoicing in the Lord is as much an act of worship as when we trust Him for our souls and when we praise Him with our tongues. Be in prayer. Be in prayer. Joy comes from praying. 
Joy comes from suffering for Christ. To know Him more. Some of you men were with us in the study yesterday and we spoke about time to make the best use of your time. Well, let me tell you something now, that all you do in this life, as we heard yesterday, will, will impact the life to come. Then rejoice for great are your rewards in heaven. Be faithful into what God has given you. In the Lord. You see that word there, in. It speaks of being close to the Lord. It speaks of being next to Him as a sheep next to a shepherd. You know, when a sheep will go astray, the shepherd will go and get the sheep and put it over its back. It's been said that the sheep will be comforted by the fact that it was feeling the heart of the actual shepherd. In the Lord, being close to God gives us that joy. It gives us that peace. Rejoicing is being close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice is to look on Him, remember Him, behold Him, knowing what He's done for you and knowing that what He still does for you, what He continues to do for you. Know this. In every trial, in every testing, in every tribulation, in every hurt, in every argument, every persecution, every moment of weakness, know that Christ is there. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's joy. Joy is not so much you go around continuously have this big smile on your face. But your joy is in the Lord. But you don't look gloomy. Psalm 84.10, no wonder we are told, it says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. One day in the presence of God will outdo a thousand years elsewhere with the wicked. One day when I die, if I die before you and I die right now, just think, tomorrow, this time, my day in the presence of the Lord has outweighed all your lives. Praise God for that. That's joy. Psalm 32 says, Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. If you feel like things are not going your way, look up. Remember Christ. Know your salvation, your sanctification, and ultimately you will have glorification. For you, it says, keep this command. Why? Who wants to be miserable? I mean, who wants to walk a Christian life gloom and doom? Who wants to run to the celestial city and just relying on circumstances and happiness in this life? When we have it in Christ. This is the heart of Christianity, brothers and sisters. If believers are just stoic, grumpy, moody, complaining, and never joyful, what are we portraying about this Christ who is the ever joyful God? In fact, what are we, what are we, what are we doing with one another? How do we help one another? How does a grumpy person help another grumpy person 
to help another grumpy person to become joyful. You've got the three grumps. The gospel's called good news for a reason. It's not called the depressed news. So we want to be a witness not only to one another, but we want to be a witness to the world. We don't want to go out there and say, listen, man, you need to come to saving faith. Why? Because Jesus will just make you depressed. No thanks. I'm already on Prozac. I've got my own issues. Why would I want to come to Jesus? You always look depressed. Why would you tell me that there is joy in the Lord and all I see is gloom and doom and death on your face? That's a bad witness. How do we help a brother and sister if we're not joyful? How do we encourage one another? And by the way, above all this, the Bible tells us the Lord takes pleasure. The Lord is joyful in those who fear Him. God takes pleasure in us taking pleasure in Him. So what does it mean for us? Be joyful through your circumstances of life. You may not understand it. You might think it's out of your control, but not God's. He's working something great above what we can see with our own eyes. And that brings us to the third point. Read verse 5 with me and we see the exposure of this rejoicing and then we'll bring it to an end. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Then here we have, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. You here is, let your is a plural word. Of course, it's applicable to all believers within the congregation. That means that when you're rejoicing, it is reflective, not with anger, not with grudging, not with arrogance, not with out of control and unforgiveness, but it's reflective with a gentle spirit, one of meekness, one of humility, one of peace. Being joyful brings peace to the heart and it's revealed to others. But if we're not, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. And remember, Jesus says, I give you peace, not like the world. We have a peace. And so if we're joyful in the Lord, if we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we are standing right with God and we're working that out, then the reflection of that will be a gentle spirit. And it says there, let your gentle spirit be known. And that word known is a passive imperative, which means... It is a command for us to personally show the heart of joyful to others in the spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. And it says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. That means to all people. All people. We are a witnessing church to a dying world. But we are also an encouraging church to a growing church. So we are meant to do that not just with unbelievers or believers, but both. We're meant to have gentle spirit of joy with one another, to encourage one another to run this wonderful race, to get to the end and, and, and then see Christ. And then we go out there with the same spirit and preach the same gospel with joy and meekness to a dying world. Everybody. And as much as I want to say this, 
as a person will struggle to be around someone who does not have joy, who can't get encouraging anything from them because they're not joyful, well, how much more is going to be hard for a person to be around a grumpy person? Now, I want you to note something here where it says gentle spirit. I don't know which translation you have. We use the NASB, but the word gentle spirit there is translated in some translation, moderation or reasonableness because it's a hard word to translate. So there are different translations that say different things. But this word in and of itself speaks of being gentle, courteous, gracious, forbearing, fair, reasonable, generous, yielding, Patience. Be patient. In other words, what Paul is saying here, don't be a grump. Don't be unloving. Don't be unforgiving. Don't be unreasonable. Don't be graceless. Joy will bring the opposite of this, which is gentle spirit. This must be a way of life. Paul is calling the believers here with, again, no options. This must be a way of life for us to be joyful and to be gentle. And he says, why, how do we do this? What's happening here? He says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. This is the confidence that we have. What does that mean? Well, this has two meanings. And I went against some of the guys that I use a lot. One meaning, what does it mean that the Lord is near? One, meaning that God is near to you, as we just said, God is never leave you, He will never forsake you. That's one meaning that He's near you, He's close to you, He's here right now, He's in your midst, He's in your heart, and that's true. And that can bring peace and joy 100%. But I think Paul meant something else here in regards to what he has said before that when he was telling the believers for their citizenship was in heaven. When he says, your citizenship's in heaven from which we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body or our humble estate into conformity to the body of his glory. What Paul means here is that Jesus is coming back soon. He was living in a state as if Christ was coming back that moment. And we hear Wes, Brother Wes, continuously teaching us the men's study. We ought to live as if Christ is coming back today. And we said this the other, I think it was Martin Luther, and I said it to, even in a prayer this morning. We ought to live as if Christ died yesterday, he rose today, and he's coming back tomorrow. And so Paul says, this is the way you ought to live. Because the Lord is near. You'll have no more pain, no more sorrow, no more troubles. There will be no marriage in heaven, and some of the men are saying, Amen. Or women in this case, all right? Because Christ will be our bridegroom. So thinking of Christ and his return definitely will bring joy, satisfaction, and a peace in our heart. Now, this thinking like this, brothers and sisters, ought to excite every believer, old, young, all of us, that at any moment the trumpet may sound and the Lord will descend with a shout. And take us home. So what are we meant to do? Look up. Look to Christ. Look to Him. Continue to be joyful in Him. And let your gentle spirit be known to all people. So, let me just give you a few things. 
just to ask you this morning. Are you joyful? Are you joyful? Where is your joy this morning? Can I first address those of you who are not saved? Or maybe those of you may think that you're saved. Maybe you're not joyful because the joy of the Lord does not dwell inside of you. Maybe because you're not saved. And the only way to be joyful is to come to the foot of the cross, to acknowledge your sins and to see that great Savior who died and rose from the grave and put your faith and trust in Him. Second question for you then, do you have a gentle spirit with others? Again, I don't want you to answer. I want you to think about that in your own heart. Or what is joy for you? How are you replacing joy in your life? Or maybe there is sin in your life that you must repent of. That's what's stopping you from having a true biblical joy that God calls us to have. So, how do we increase this joy? Let me just summarize for you. Please read your Bibles. Read the Word of God. Don't let this book get dust, or if you have a phone, get e-dust. Read it. Eat it. Seek after it. In here, you're going to find all the pleasures and all the treasures and all the joy of life. Pray to the Lord to increase your joy. Pray earnestly. Pray for me. Pray for one another that God will increase our joy for Him. That the hindrances and, and the things and the circumstances of life, we will see them as what they really are. They are a tool to refine us and to mold us and transform us and conform us to the image of Christ. That's what they are there for. Serve the brethren. Serve them. Fellowship with them. Get to know them. And finally, obey it. Obey it. Let's pray. Father, you are such a good God. Joyful God. To remind us, Lord, how often we take our eyes off you. And try to find momentary joy in foolishness, in comfort of this life, whether a car, a home, or a person, or a thing. Oh Lord, you've put in our a bank account the fullness of joy. And later, the Apostle Paul tells us that he's learned to be content in all things. Please, God, we beg of you to teach us where our joy ought to lie. Not in the circumstances of life. Not in the happiness that only comes when things go our way. But in Christ, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. And Father, for those who do not know You, Lord, we pray that You give Him no rest until rest and joy is found at Calvary. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.